So, we're going to take the first small step of six tonight. So, as disciples of Jesus, we must be active in the process of our salvation and transformation into Christ's likeness. It's an inescapable fact of the gospel. I hope that you, I mean, there, I know there's a, a mixture of, of theological backgrounds in the room, church backgrounds in the room, and so, uh, as there always is when we're together, so some of you have almost entirely, all of your biblical understanding has come from being here at this church, and then some of you uh, have a more diverse background where you've been in other churches, some of you even other denominations. And so sometimes I say things like that, this first statement, and if, if this was the only place you knew, then you would just think, well, of course. But you can't just take that for granted because that is not uh, something that is universally believed across evangelicalism, not by a long shot. And so, uh, even most of what I'll say tonight um, is, is not uh, unanimously believed and understood. And it's very problematic. And it's no wonder uh, why we have a major gospel growth problem in the kingdom of God. Now, what we have to realize is that the initiative in this process meaning the process of salvation and transformation, is always God's. No one comes to faith in Christ of their own volition. God initiates that. But then we, in our free will, respond to that. So God initiates the process, and it's not something that we're waiting for. We're not sitting around waiting for God to initiate the process. A lot of people are sitting around waiting for God to initiate the process of transformation. And that is an error. God has already invaded history and reality. The ball is now in our court. We already have, according to the Bible, in salvation, everything that we need for life and godliness. So, there's no, we shouldn't be waiting. So Christ has already died on our behalf. He's risen and he's now supervising the events of the earth towards the end that he will certainly bring to pass in his sovereignty for the glory of God. So the issue concerning us is what we will do. What we will do in light of this reality. Unfortunately, there are many people that believe that we can do nothing toward transformation. That God just does that in us. I don't know if, um, you know, I've never met anybody who could have a rational conversation with me about that, who believes that, because it's so ridiculous and insane that usually five minutes into the conversation, they just clam up and won't say anything to me. But it's tons of people believe this. 
They're just sitting around. They, I don't know what they think. I don't know if they, if it was like when you were a kid and you used to, you know, dream that if you, you know, if, if somehow you stuck your textbook under your pillow when you woke up in the morning, you'd understand trigonometry. I have no idea. But here's the thing. The way you know what somebody really believes is not even by what they say, but it's by what they do. And so if you do nothing, then whatever you say is irrelevant. You clearly believe that you don't need to do anything or else you would do it. Because the person who's doing nothing toward their transformation, think of the hundreds of thousands of other things that they're doing consistently and and devotedly. They're going to work. They're cleaning their house. They're brushing their teeth. They're eating when they're hungry. They're drinking when they're thirsty. They're bathing. I mean, I know I'm taking some liberty here. Maybe they're not. I'm hoping. But all of these things. They're, they're, so there's a multitude of things that we're all committed to. And so if, if we're committed to all these things and yet we're not actively doing anything to promote transformation, then our actions are proving what we truly believe. So there's, there's six little steps that me and Pastor Matt will be covering over the next uh, six weeks. And tonight we're going to take the first one. And maybe, maybe seven, because there's another conversation I'm kind of hoping Pastor Matt will have with you. So tonight we're going to talk about thoughts. That's the first step. And of course that's the first step. It only makes sense because we first turned away from God in our thoughts. So clearly it would be the first step back because it's the first step away. You see, our thought life, it's in our thought life that we must ignite the change revolution of our character. It begins with thoughts. Thoughts are where we begin the process of change. And the Bible teaches this in a multitude of ways, but the, the simplest, most convincing way to understand this is just simply to look at the Scripture and examine what happens and how things happen. You know, you could look at the life of Jesus and, and what He does. You see, in our thoughts dwell these powerful ideas, images, and information. And these three things will become crucial in our pursuit of spiritual transformation. The reason why, these, why we talk about these as being small steps is because they're so often overlooked that so many times uh, someone might in, even endeavor to grow spiritually and to uh, cooperate in the process of transformation, but overlook what we're talking about tonight and it will be of no consequence. You can't, you can't do this without addressing thoughts. Now, the ultimate freedom that we have as human beings is the power to choose what we let our mind dwell on. It really is our ultimate freedom. 
It's the most powerful. It, the, our ultimate freedom is not to be able to go where we want to go because, first of all, we can't do that. And you don't go anywhere before you first think about it. You see, it, everything, the genesis of all the freedom that we have is thoughts. It's what our mind dwells upon and the power that comes through that. Now, if that's the case, well, then it would be obvious that there's a battle raging for our mind. If that's the, the door that leads to the pathway to transformation, then there's going to be powers and principalities working as hard as they possibly can to nail that door shut or to barricade it shut. That's why the Apostle Paul warns in Ephesians 6 that we don't struggle against flesh and blood. Don't look at flesh and blood. Powers and principalities, these world forces of darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We, these, now this energy, these demonic powers and principalities that are, that are at work against us. are spiritual agencies that work within the idea system of our culture. Have you ever asked the question? See, a lot of times we might say things like, well, I realize I don't, I don't fight against flesh and blood. I realize this is a spiritual battle. And that's true, and that's good. But you should think more deeply about it. So, it's a spiritual battle. How is this spiritual battle waged? How, is it, how does it work? Where does the... Because just knowing that it's a spiritual battle is only marginally helpful if you don't... Well, I mean, how does a spiritual battle work? Where's, where does a spiritual battle primarily attack? What, is, what do we mean when we say that? What's the practical daily implications of that? Well, it's going to attack idea systems. Idea systems. These are generally held assumptions about reality. These are things that most of us, most of the time, never think about. You see, all of us have these patterns of thinking and interpretation. And where did they come from? They've been historically developed throughout the course of your life. So when you, when you came to Christ, you came to Christ with an already established system of ideas that, was, that you learned from your childhood experiences and your your family of origin and the things that you uh, experienced or saw or were exposed to or whatever the case may be. And all of those things work together to create this sort of pattern of thinking that you have. Now, let me, I just gave you some examples of idea systems. So when you, when you, you have an idea of freedom, Freedom elicits something in your mind when I say freedom. And that's not necessarily what's the same as what the person next to you is thinking. Or education. Or happiness. 
or the American dream, science, progress, death, home. Think about, think about this. Think about in our culture right now, the word gender. It is a specific word with a very specific definition. And what good is that? None. Because there's a multitude of idea systems around just that one word. Gender or Christian or Muslim or democracy or fairness or you name it. And right now you're thinking of something and you need to understand that, you see, because you have these conversations with yourself in your head all the time, and that's what's normal to you, but understand, that's your idea system. That's not my idea system, that's yours. And the, the sort of, you know, sometimes people come to faith in Christ and they participate with the, in the journey of transformation and their idea systems begin to be, you can see them being restructured. I see this in D group every single year in the men that I'm in D group with. I can see it's slow process, but then as you get closer to the end of the year, you start to see momentum building. And what's happening is, the idea system, what I'm talking about tonight, is starting to change from being in this discipleship relationship for the last 12 months. You see, these are very pervasive and persuasive systems in our head. And they're essential to how we approach life. They dictate many of the decisions that you make without even thinking. Because they're, they're, they're all you know. But listen, our particular idea system is a cultural byproduct. Growing up with us from earliest childhood out of the teachings, expectations, and observational behaviors of family and community. So, some of you were profoundly impacted. I mean, all of us were profoundly impacted by our primary caregiver or givers. So if you grew up in an intact family, then your parents were a primary influence upon you. But some of you grew up in, in all sorts of different ways and broken homes like I did. And so then that primary caregiver takes on different people, different and different people, maybe even for different seasons. But understand something. Some of you were profoundly impacted by a school teacher or by a coach or by a neighbor or by an uncle or something. And then there's a lot of people in here who have, have, not, have no knowledgeable impact on their life by a school teacher. That's unique to you. Some of you were, have been pri pri uh, profoundly impacted by uh, maybe a brother or a sister. Maybe you have an older brother, an older sister. And so they were very instrumental. Then others of you don't have siblings. 
And so you just kind of rock along as if, but you, we need to really, listen, if you transformation, you got to think about this. Now, what do you think the absolute primary number one A plus go to plan A weapon of your enemy is above everything else? It is 100% manipulating and influencing your ideas. If Satan can get you, see, all Satan has to do, Satan doesn't need to, all Satan has to do is, is create confusion about gender. And look at where we are. Create confusion about the idea system around sexuality. And look at where we are. We so oftentimes are so uh, consumed with, we think that, that uh, our spiritual warfare is all these tangible, physical obstacles. And, and, and that is rarely the case. The work, the primary, the great bulk of work that evil does is right here. Right here. And there are tools at his disposal right now that he has never had before that are unbelievably powerful. What is the primary way that idea systems are manipulated today. Social media, 100%. 100%. So every time you get on Facebook, all of the Things that are popping up are customized for you. See, when I get on Facebook, that doesn't come up. And when somebody else gets on Facebook, that doesn't come up. It's for you. But you think that everyone's looking at the same thing, but everyone's not looking at the same thing. It's manipulating you in a very special way. It knows, Facebook knows what you click on. What you're interested in. And it's very, very good at manipulating your mind. Have you ever thought about this? Why does Facebook send you an email to tell you that someone has tagged you in a photo? Why don't they just send you the photo? Because... It's a trick to get you to go to Facebook. They took the time to send you the email. They could have just sent you the post or the photo, but they don't want you to do that. They're trying to get, they're, they're just reeling you in all day long. And they're feeding you what they know that, you're, that you'll look at. And so if you stop looking at a certain thing, they'll shift to something else. And it's 
manipulating your mind and manipulating your idea systems. What about fake news? Nobody knows what's going on. You don't know what you can believe, what you can't believe. I mean, oh, it's wonderful for the devil. And so what happens is, is that God has put this built-in sort of mooring system for Christians so that and look around you. I mean, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. So many people that profess Christ are swept up in the current. And God's given you an immovable system to where you can navigate through all the fake news, you can navigate through all the manipulation on social media and not get sucked into the current. But if you're not tethered to the right thing, See, along with these idea systems, they don't come alone. There's something else that comes with them. Images. So you, you can see why the Bible says things like, let this mind be in you, or do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why, why would the Bible say that, notice that how, what the Bible does and in, in Paul does in Romans chapter 12. Conforming to the world is put against renewing your mind. It's not put against, think about it, it's not put against your emotions or your affections or your behavior. Isn't that something? See, how did we get to the point where so many people think that, like Pastor Matt was talking about last week, that transformation is about behavior modification? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say you need to renew your actions. It's your mind. That's where all your actions are, are being developed. It's the renewing of the mind. And, and so these, these idea systems don't exist out there alone. They're connected to images. And these images are abstract, but they're also concrete. Ideas are abstract, but these images are concrete, specific, and they're connected to feelings. So you see what happens is when I start to talk about images, these things come into your mind that are, you know, some things are just some, like, sometimes an image comes in your mind of what you imagine something would be like. But when you have, when you're very familiar with something, and then that idea system comes into your mind, a concrete, specific image comes into your mind with regards to that idea system.
They're powerful because they're emotional and sensual. See, we, we don't get, a, a lot of times our idea systems are not, uh, you know, they're, they're just these abstract understandings that we formed. But it's when we connect them to images that they get very powerful. And it's the same, it's the same scenario where, you know, you could, we could sit down and we could uh, be talking about uh, some sin issue. We could be talking about, you know, some restoration process or some cleansing process in you. And the more image-driven that sin issue is, the more difficult, long-term, and strenuous recovery is going to be. That pornography is a killer. It's a killer. A killer. Because it's those images are so powerful. So powerful. So what takes a, a idea system, when it connects to an image, then it, it just becomes overwhelming. So look at these examples. So now, you know, if we start having a conversation about hair, as soon as we move into some specific thing about hair that's going to drive this image, so, you know, you think of something with regards to short hair or skinhead or, you know, I thought I, I got cracked up when I wrote that. Or green hair or purple hair. See, you, if you've seen people that had green hair. Now, what difference does it make what color somebody's hair is? But it makes a difference to you. Because when, I, when you say green hair, you think of something and you're attaching that. Think about what you're thinking. You have feelings about a person with green hair that you don't know, that you've never met. You have feelings. How did you get feelings associated with tattoos? You do. Where did that come from? And, and some of you have feelings of you like them. Some of you have feelings that you hate them. Some of you have feelings of, and all these different feelings in there, but you have feelings about that because it's visual and you have, and you're, you picture something in your mind. You think of uh, how things like flags elicit Great emotion and tension and passion and the image of. You don't even have to distinguish. You just say flag. You have an idea system connected to an image. And it's very much shaping you in ways 
if we don't have this conversation, I mean, you've got to be aware of this in the Scripture. Now, Jesus is aware of this because he understood the great significance of images and he carefully selected an image that brilliantly conveyed himself and his message, didn't he? He was... That was very deliberate and intentional. And so... Think about, think about that cross up there. Think about how that cross means so many different things to so many different people. Think about all the people that wear a piece of jewelry that have no regard for the death of Christ. They may not even believe in Jesus at all, but they wear it as a piece of jewelry or they have some totally abstract understanding or view of it. And where did that... Look, the, the cross is something. The cross isn't just a thing that you... Like it is something. It means something. It represents something. And yet, it's all over the map. Now, how did that happen? Powers and principalities have been very successful at diminishing or diluting or manipulating or influencing people's idea system and image associated with the cross. And there's just tons of confusion about it. To the extent that now we have so-called Christian churches that don't have crosses because they feel like it depresses people. I mean, seriously. Well, don't have crosses and not allowed in the church because it's uh, whatever. In this one image... We see the lostness of man as well as the sacrificial love of God that brings redemption. And that's that the cross cannot it cannot mean anything else. And yet No doubt it's the all-time most powerful image and symbol of human history. So it should be of no surprise that it's attacked the way that it is. But God knew exactly what He was doing in selecting the cross and using the cross for its imagery because, you know, when you, when you look at the way Jesus taught, and the things that Jesus did, you realize he's the master of imagery. He uses that in, in almost everything that comes out of his mouth. And so when you think about these idea systems and they're connected to images and how powerful they are, then you understand why I've said this so many thousands of times. It's ridiculous, but 
A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Because when you think about God, you have an idea system and an image. And that will drive your either relationship with God, your lack of relationship with God. That right there will drive what happens in your relationship with God. If that's not right, if that's unhealthy, if that's something that it ought not be, until that's fixed, you will not be able to overcome that. You see, let me explain this to you. So when I got saved, this is I'm going to tell you, I'll use my life as an example of the idiocy of the idea that a person gets saved and just starts growing like crazy. I got saved. I go from, my citizenship goes from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So in my whole world turns upside down. As I begin to walk spiritually as a brand new believer in Christ, the first thing that happens is I run into a brick wall. And I can't go one inch further. Because I have all of this pent-up bitterness inside of me towards my biological father who walked out on me when I was eight years old. Now, I've received this relationship with a new heavenly father. But the problem is when you say the word father, what comes into my mind is very unhealthy. And so I am spiritually in checkmate. There's no moving forward. My my spiritual world is not, I'm learning new things and I'm experiencing new things, but I'm stuck in quicksand until I have to deal with this process. I have to forgive my earthly father and I have to move past that and I have to realize that my heavenly father, I have to reframe my idea system and my image about what a father is. And until I do that, and, and so what I'm saying is, is that there's people who are just stuck in spiritual quicksand and aren't moving. And they're just frustrated, trying all the... And the problem is, is that it's not going to change. You've got to address what do you, whatever you think of when you think about God. You, if you don't have that fixed, you're, you're not moving. You're not moving. You can't move. You can come to church and read your Bible and listen to 10 million sermons. And all of those things are just going to, the Holy Spirit just, how did I know that my, I'm brand new. I don't know anything. How did I know that my issue was I had to forgive my dad? Because we have a God who speaks. The Holy Spirit's inside of me. I didn't figure that out. God told me that. I mean, it was obvious. I knew that. I can't tell you how I knew it because God God is very, very good at letting you know what He wants you to know. All you have to be good at is obeying. So what we'll do now is let's get practical. Let's, let's dissect, like we used to dissect a frog in biology, we'll dissect temptation. God is seen as depriving us of what is good by His commands 
So then we imagine that we should take matters into our own hands and act contrary to what he has said. Now imagine Eve in the garden prior to her encounter with Satan. So before she has this conversation with Satan, when you say God or Father, she has this idea system connected to an image, right? And it's probably healthy and good, although there were some cracks in it that were exposed in that conversation. But once the devil comes along and manipulates the idea system, See how obvious it is? Then the whole thing goes off the rails. It's all he had to do was manipulate her idea, which is what is so scary to me about what. Is happening in so many of your lives. Like, if you're not ultra vigilant about what information you allow to come into your mind, you are foolish. Is not even a, is not even a, a, a word to do justice. Like, you are absolutely putting yourself in the greatest harm imaginable. I mean, it is by far the, the most... If you said, Tony, what are you most obsessive about, most careful about? Number, It's not even close. Number one, information. Absolutely number one by 10 million miles. Because for 25 years, I've watched people's lives get destroyed because they weren't. If you, if you just sit in front of a television and let it instruct you, if you just sit in front of your computer, if you, if you think that you're just goofing around on your phone before you go to bed, you are insane. You're insane. You are being indoctrinated. The war is, the ground zero of the war is right there. And think of all of the things that you're afraid of and would never do. And yet the thing that you ought to be most afraid of, you don't even think will hurt you. Man. Information begins our transformation. Because information is what began our destruction. I want you to just think with me for a second. got to hurry. Think with me for a second about all, all, the, whatever, all the regrets that you pile up into the, the, your, your pre-Christ life. Just pile them up in there. And you take that pile... And get you a piece of paper out and you write down the five things in your pre-Christ life that you most regret and wish you could take back. And I'll bet you a million dollars that all five of those things, you did those things 
accomplished those things, not only when you did them, you knew they were wrong. When you did them, you knew they were wrong, but you did them anyway. And you just chalk it up to say, oh, well, I was ignorant or I wasn't saved then or I was. But have you ever asked yourself, and why did you do them? What led you to do them? What caused you? What was so powerful in your mind that you knew that this was wrong, but you did it anyway, and it was an information system. It was an idea system connected to an image. That's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. And then here you are in Christ, still spinning the chamber, playing Russian roulette on your cell phone all day. You see, because here's the thing. You know all the things, like you're trying to avoid drugs and avoid alcohol and avoid sexual immorality and, and you've quit cussing and you've done all these things. Congratulations, but hello? What made you do those things? An idea system. And so you've quit, you've like fixed all these areas of your behavior and then you're over here in Christ and you're just letting your idea system just be polluted and, and perverted continuously when that's exactly what happened over there. But you think, no, I'm not, I'm not making that mistake because I'm not doing this, 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 and this. And Satan's going, <laughs> look, I'm done. I'm going to say one more thing. If you're in here tonight, I'm going to prove it to you. If you're in here tonight and you know your bell's fixing to ring because it's fixing to ring right now and you feel any hatred or animosity towards people who believe differently than you do about politics, you got to mega problem you got a mega problem you've been indoctrinated you've been indoctrinated you 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 hate people you feel ill will towards people that believe socially differently than you you know you do where did that come from do you know how anti-gospel that is? You think you have the right? You think that you're on some high horse? That you are going to condemn an image bearer? Someone that God made in His image and knit together? You think that because... You, it's even worse. You think that you found God? And that somehow now you're superior in your thinking or understanding? Let me remind you of something. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. If you, you're indoctrinated. And the church is full of it. Your hearts are full of it. Because I hear your conversations. 
And God is repulsed by that. He is repulsed by it. You know how that happened? Information. That's how that happened. Satan's got you. And you need to repent. And you better make some changes. The first task of Jesus in his earthly ministry was to inform. Jesus shows up on the scene, and what is his primary initial move? Information. Because information drives everything. It drives everything. He shows up and he's, he's, he's got to tell us, hey, here's what's going on. I'm here. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. For the gospel to have its effect, we must use our ability to think. You have to. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation according to the Bible. But you know what? The gospel's never saved anybody that didn't think. It never has. And it never will. Because that's not how it works. You have to think. You have to think. So you can't come to Christ through the gospel, think through the gospel, and then in Christ stop thinking. And think you're going to grow or be transformed. It's not, it's not going to happen. What is, what is thinking? Thinking is searching out what is true. It's, it's searching it out. So what's, you know what's not thinking? Just believing what you hear. Or, and how do you, how do you get convinced? How can I convince you of something? Let me, let me frame this better. Man, I hope this is sinking in. How can I, I can convince you of anything without you needing to think. And you know how I can do that? I can just repeat something over and over and over and over and over in your, in your life. And you don't have to think about it. And you'll just get indoctrinated by the repetition of it and you'll just begin to and you won't even know how you started believing that you just will if you don't think what if you do not think what will what will shape your idea systems repetition and who has the Biggest hold on repetition in your life. The internet. Every single time you go on Facebook, repetition, repetition, repetition. Every time you Google something, repetition, repetition, repetition. Tell me I'm wrong. So if you don't think, you're just going to get indoctrinated by what you hear. Repetition, repetition, repetition. So if I manipulate the message to just keep telling, to just 
Because what causes you to think is when you hear this, and then you hear this, and so this and this, and so then you have to figure. But if I just keep feeding you the same thing, I want you to just don't think about it. Just keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, and there you go. I got you. So you better be careful when you turn on your television, when you log into the Internet. You better have your guard about you. Better be paying attention. Every time you search something on Google, what you type in and those little suggestions that come down, where do you think them came from? Get your spouse to get on their iPad and type in the same thing. I'll bet you 50 bucks they're different. Where do you think they came from? You think they're the same for you as they are for me? You're crazy. They're not. You think they're the same if you live here as opposed to in the northeast or in the, in the west? or in, No. You're being indoctrinated. So here's the principle. The prospering of God's cause on earth depends on His people thinking well. Now look at, the, look at that passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And what is virtue? Be virtuous thinking. That's what virtue is. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. You see this progression to brotherly kindness, love? So we have this progression of growth. But now look at what the Bible says. For if these things are yours and abound, then what you won't be is barren or unfruitful in the what? In the behavior? Mm -mm. In the knowledge of our Lord. So you can be barren and unfruitful. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. See? Saved people who don't think are barren and unfruitful. They don't transform. So God's cause on earth is advanced through believers who think. See, haven't you ever wondered why you got, you got this you got this group of this big group of Christians. Everybody has the same salvation. Everybody has the same spirit of God within them. I mean, yeah, we have unique personalities and characters like we'll talk about in the rest of this series. But you, it's the same. Every one of us has the same potential. You know that? It's unlimited. But now let me ask you a question. Why is it that there's a few? That soar above the rest. Why are there just so many that are just in the doldrums? It would appear on the surface like, wow, God must give special sanctification power to certain people. But he doesn't. That's not what the Bible says. What's going on? 
What is it about these people that grow like crazy, that advance the kingdom, that God uses, that they teach and they lead and they make a difference and they witness and they lead people to Christ and they plant churches and they do mission work and they become missionaries. And, well, and then you got all these people that just, I mean, you know, they stop cussing. But they just sitting on a pew. Like, you know, you're like, hey, are you a Christian? And the answer is, yeah, I go to church every week. But I didn't ask you that. I mean, what's that got to do with it? That's what you're basing your eternal security on? You go to church? I mean, the devil never misses. I just want you to know that. He never misses. Trust me. He's here every Sunday. The people that are growing and that are transformed and that, that it appears like God's using what it is, they're thinking well. They're thinking. Spiritual formation cannot be a private activity. So remember, we're only taking the first of six steps, but it all starts with thinking. But I just want you to understand that this, this isn't, although these thoughts, your idea systems and your images are all in your own mind, it's, it, it has to be worked out. And, and the great influence will come through relationship with people who think well. When you get around people who think well, it, you'll start thinking. I'll get to that in a minute. I'll explain it to you in a second. So you, what you need to do is you need to seek out others in your spiritual community who are pursuing spiritual transformation or who are thinking well. Now there's a very, very, very critical distinction in all of this, that you cannot miss this. Because I thought about if I had a nickel for every hour that I have spent, and I, I, I guarantee you I've spent Hundreds of hours talking about discipleship and the flaws in it and the problems with it and what, what's going on. Looking at you, praying for you, examining, thinking about you, begging God to give me wisdom about you. I mean, me and Matt have spent so much time talking about it, it's unbelievable. And this next point is one of the main reasons why this goes astray. Because when I say you need to seek out others who are pursuing spiritual transformation, if I don't say the next thing, I'm very concerned about who you're thinking that is. I'm very concerned about that. Because, you know, I'll get on a soapbox on one Sunday and it'll be a you know, a bloodbath in here and 
because I love you. And I'm yelling and screaming. All the veins are poking out of my neck and trying to get you to understand the importance of discipleship and multiplication. And then I'll see some of you respond to that and then do the wrong thing. Like you intended to do the right thing, and then you did the exact wrong thing. And I'm going, what happened? Did I not yell loud enough? Did I not yell long enough? Did, was I not clear? I mean, what, what, what happened? And this is the problem right here. I'm talking about practitioners, not theologians. If you want to... If you want to be in a relationship with someone who is pursuing spiritual transformation, I'm not talking about somebody who has a whole bunch of theological knowledge. I'm talking about somebody who uses what they have. There is a huge, the church is full of people who are just professional Bible studiers. You don't want to be hooked up into that stream. Can you believe you just heard me say that? You don't want to be hooked up in that stream. I mean, it's, it's, one Bible study after the next Bible study. It's, it, it's this after this. It's always some new book, some new study, some new things, some new workbook, some new, some blah, blah, blah. And they know the Bible, man. They, and they got all this information. What about their life? Like, I mean... When was the last time they led somebody to Christ? When was the last time you saw them sacrificially giving of themselves like Jesus would? What, what, are they, what difference are they making in the kingdom? Like, are they, are they, do they have a burden for, for the lostness around the world? Are they, what do they do? I mean, you see what I'm saying? Because if all they're doing is having a big Bible study get together, Whoop de do. The Bible is is not listen. The Bible, the key to the Bible is not learning it. The key to the Bible is obeying it. If you want to spend time around somebody that's going to make a difference in your life, they need to be obeying the Bible. I don't want to listen to two seconds of what you know about the Bible. If you're not doing it, I don't want to hear it. So if we take in God through His Word and we walk the way of those who know by experience the transformation of the mind, 
that transformation will come to us and it will pervade every dimension of our person. God will make sure that happens. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to some of you. That's what happened to everybody. Everybody who obeys the Bible, you know what they did? They got around somebody who obeyed the Bible. And, and so, in a very simple, practical way, okay, before we leave, I just want you to think about this. Let's, let, me, let me just get into your D group for a second. Let me get into your Bible study for a second. Let me get into your spiritual circle. So you got a group of people, four ladies, four men, whatever it is. They get together. You've all studied the same passage of Scripture. Because you should never be reading something that somebody else wrote if you're not reading your Bible. You should only be reading, I mean, you should never be doing, you shouldn't be doing a Beth Moore study or anything else. If you're not reading your Bible, you shouldn't be doing anything else. If you could do something else, great, but make sure you do that after you read your Bible. But anyway, so you all read the same passage of Scripture. You get together. And the conversation is, Hey, here's what this passage means. Here's what this passage means. And so you spent 30 minutes talking about what this passage means. Then you prayed for each other and you went home. That's a fail. I'm not doing that. Why would I do that? What are you going to do about it? This is what it means, and what are we going to do about it? What is, well, I mean, in other words, when you read something in the Bible and you think about it, and you go, why is this in the Bible? Why does God want me to know this? Why is this specific piece of information in the Bible? What is it that God wants me to do in light of the fact that He put this in the Bible? That's thinking well. And going, hmm. Remember, Satan knows better than you'll ever know what that passage means. And he doesn't care if you know what it means. He just doesn't want you to obey it. And so you got church filled with people who are just going around in circles. No one's going to get transformed in that conversation. Nobody. What are you going to do about it? What is it? Why? What is the point? I'm reading this. This is what it means. What does God want me to do? What's the reason behind it? What's his heart behind it? How's he glorified through it? That's the only thing that matters. You might as well be in a secular book club if you're not doing that. Anybody can open up a study Bible and read the notes at the bottom and go, well, here's what it means. There ain't no transformation in that. Aren't you glad somebody loves you enough to tell you this? 
I mean, it breaks my heart. It frustrates me to no end because I care about you. I mean, if I could walk with each one of you individually, I would do that. But don't waste another day. Get your Bible out, man, and, and walk, bask in the glory of what God has given you. And when you do that, all these things in the world trying to con your thinking, they're never going to get you off course because you know what is right and true. Father, we just thank you. I thank you, Lord, that my heart is so full of love and compassion and care. Because I know yours is, God. I just imagine what, what would you say? Wouldn't you say what I've said tonight, Lord? I know you would. People that you, you created, you knit together, you made them for your glory. Just limping along on the snooze button. Unfruitful and unproductive. God, awaken us to the reality of our thinking, our thinking, and the images that are associated with that. And God, we need to align that with the gospel. We need to think in accordance with the gospel. We need to have images in our mind in accordance with the gospel so that we see we're able to walk right into the chaos and the confusion of our world, and we're able to bring the gospel to bear. See, you walked into a world, Jesus, of people who wanted to murder you and you loved them. And so many people bearing your name can't walk into a world with people who disagree with them. That's not like you, Lord. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. So maybe for once... We'll care more about thinking the way you want us to think. Than the way we're being manipulated. Than the way the people around us think. There's a lot of people in this room that need new people around them. New people. It's time to make a change. Time to do things different. Because the reward, the payoff, is unimaginable. So we dismiss tonight as a group of people who 100% in this room. If we're saved, we have unlimited potential in you. You didn't save anybody in this room to be mediocre. You didn't slaughter your son and spill his blood all over this wicked earth so that they could just meander along. You, you gave the absolute best the universe had for their soul. 
So may we be good stewards of that. In Jesus' name, amen.